Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Well, good morning. And uh, one of the top trending headlines this morning is that the Supreme Court extended the pause of the abortion bill ban through Friday. So according to the New York Times, uh, they the Supreme Court extended that pause on a lower court ruling that had sought to limit access to a commonly used abortion pill, ensuring that this drug would remain widely available for now. In a brief order, Justice uh, Sam Alito announced that the court would extend the stay through Friday evening, giving the court more time to consider the case. So what uh, is exactly going on here? How do we as Christians um, consider the implications of this. Of course, we are all uh, pro-life and we should be. So joining me now is one of uh, the best advocates for pro-life that I know and that you should know if you don't, my very dear friend, Abby Johnson, who is the CEO of And Then There Were None. And you all know her from um, the Unplanned movie. She was the uh, the subject of that movie, and it tells her life story of uh, being a former Planned Parenthood worker and um, getting out of, of that line of work and um, and it's just an incredible story. So good morning, Abby, and thank you so much for joining me today and for your advocacy and stand for the truth. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, so um, so you and I have talked about um, this, this Supreme Court case in the context of uh, better messaging for how Christians yeah. should understand why um, this particular abortion pill being on or off the market, um, how that impacts overall abortions, but how we need to, to think about that. So um, how, how have you um, considered this in the context of pro-life? Sure. So, you know, the, this lawsuit was brought forward um, really kind of, I, I think, trying to hold the FDA accountable for, you know, fast-tracking mifepristone through the system, not going through proper uh, trials, and, 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 you know, rightly so, right? I mean, they really did push this drug through, um, you know, not looking at, you know, how is this going to affect women? Does this hurt women? And, and all of that is true. Um, but I think that the ramifications, ramifications of this were not properly looked at. Um, and I think we underestimate the desire of the abortion industry to uh, to continue abortion. You know, something like this is not going to stop the abortion industry from killing babies. So they already have a plan in place to continue providing medication abortion, chemical abortion, if they're no longer allowed to use misoprostone. And it's a misoprostone-only regimen. And honestly, it's even more dangerous for the women who are going to be having abortions. And look, I'm not here. I'm not out here advocating safe abortion. Okay, um, that's that's not me. But on the other hand, I don't want women to die uh, when they have abortions. Um, but our job in the pro-life movement is not to say, well, okay, you can kill your baby this way, but you can't kill your baby this way. 
our job in the pro-life movement is to say, we don't want you to kill your baby at all. And unfortunately, this lawsuit has done has done what I what I've said. It said, uh, you know, you can't kill your baby by by using mifepristone, but you can kill your baby by using some other regimen. And that's really not the goal. That's really not what we're trying to do in the pro-life movement. Right. We are trying to uh, eliminate abortion altogether and to say that no matter what form uh, of abortion is uh, is chosen by the the doctor or um, the abortion provider, um, all of those things are wrong. And so um, so that makes sense. And and it, it makes sense in, <laughs> because, you know, if you think about taking um, a pain reliever, if um, the, the the FDA didn't go through all of uh, what it should have and, and the approvals of one type of pain reliever, then there are plenty of others on the market. So that's not going to stop people from accessing pain relievers. It's just going to take one option off the table. Um, but this was interesting as well, Abby, because um, just in the context of, of this particular um, case that, that may have wider impact at least on... Um, on how drugs go through the FDA process. And, and, you know, this has been on the market for a really long time. And um, mm-hmm. and this particular drug used in combination with another one is, at least according to um, CNBC and some other articles I've read, is the most common method to terminate a pregnancy in the U.S., accounting for about half of all abortions. And this has been used, I mean, this isn't new. So the fact that a Texas judge was willing to go back and say, well, wait a minute, the FDA didn't actually do what it should have in terms of the process. Um, do you find that aspect at least helpful that, you know, the judge is willing to go back and say after for the years that this has been on the market, we still need to go back and make sure that this is safe? Yeah, I mean, I do. I, and next, you know, next, let's do the COVID vaccine. Um, right. <laughs> I I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that we, we can start looking at, you know, uh, drugs that have caused harm. Um, you know, the FDA, the misoprostol combo, uh, you know, hasn't always been FDA approved. Um, you know, it wasn't, I mean, really, it, it wasn't that long ago that, that that combo, you know, was approved by the FDA. It was, you know, it was used off-label um, for, for a long time. And, uh, you know, and then the FDA approved it. So, you know, I think that I think the FDA does have to be accountable. Um, you know, obviously they are, you know, in bed with a liberal agenda, and so you know, some drugs that that we think, you know, oh, this should this should be approved, um, don't get approved, and then some some drugs that are, you know, like abortion drugs and you know, COVID, you know, we saw what happened with COVID vaccines and things like that. Um, you know, they get they get pushed through very quickly. Unfortunately, I think what's going to happen with this is that if mifepristone is taken off, it will be temporary. Uh, what will happen is the FDA will do another trial and they'll push it. They'll push it through again quickly. Um, and they'll be able to do that because they're in cahoots with the Biden administration and, and they'll allow it to go through quickly. And I don't think much will change. Um, a, a friend of mine who's a physician uh, who's done who's done some work with the FDA? He said that if they do another trial, they'll probably get uh, reapproval for mifepristone within three to six months. That's crazy uh, that they would get you know 
reapproval for a drug in three to six months. But he said that's probably the timeline that we would be looking at. Wow. So, um, and it, to your point, yet things like hydroxychloroquine, you know, c- couldn't be fast tracked at all as some kind of therapeutic or you know any of these other drugs that were used for an off label purpose. But uh, this does this this is an agenda. It, it doesn't just seem like that. It absolutely is. And so, um, from a broader scale, because this is so clearly and intentionally designed to for a specific outcome and. Um, and, and the FDA and all of these other three-letter government agencies, um, I've learned, especially in the last few years, to not trust at all. Um, so how, how do you talk to the, the larger culture about um, the pro-life movement? I mean, when, when we are facing an upcoming election that uh, a lot of politicians and even Republicans are suggesting that we need to kind of back off um, some of the the more extreme uh, positions on abortion and say, you know, we have to front load messaging with, you know, we're for all of the exceptions and, you know, all these things that we can't look like extremists. I'm thinking Dobbs was the best generational win of my lifetime to, to truly advocate for the most fundamental right, which is the right to life. And we're now backing off of that. We need to push forward and build on that. And so what what is your message on responding to some of these to just talking points from the left that, oh, you're being too extreme on abortion? Yeah, so I think the worst thing that we can do is back off and uh, look contradictory in the things that we say. I mean, look, if we say that abortion is killing an innocent human life, then it is always killing an innocent human life. If we say abortion is murder, then it is murder all the time, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And one of the worst things that we can do is look weak on this issue. One of the worst things that we can do, and I, and I have had, I have, you know, I, I know people who are, who are, you know, support abortion. I have, I have friends who are uh, pro-abortion, and they have told me personally, they've said, Abby, one of the most ridiculous things in the world is, is when, you know, pro-lifers have exceptions, you know, in their mind. When they say things like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, abortion's wrong, abortion's murder, you know, except in cases of rape. Or, well, what are you saying? Like, it's murder sometimes, but it's not murder all the time. You know, it's killing sometimes, it's not killing all the time. That makes us look like fools. So we've got to be consistent in our messaging you know, we, our politicians have got to do better when it comes to messaging these issues. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know how they get training on that. They need to start listening to their constituents, I guess, because I think that we're far better at messaging these issues than they are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've got to be consistent. And, uh, and, and we, we can't back down. Who cares? I mean, who cares what other people think about, you know, about what we think, right? Um, They're going to think we're extreme no matter what. The Democrats are going to think that we're extreme on these issues no no matter what, because they think that any ban on abortion is wrong. They think abortion, uh, for any reason at any time, is okay. So we, we have to just be consistent in our messaging and be consistent in our beliefs. 
Absolutely. And and I don't know where these these politicians are getting their messaging and they're they are backing off um, because of the polls or from, you know, some other influence. And I'm thinking, why should a poll matter? Stand up for the truth and don't back down. And to your point that if abortion is murder, which it is, then it's murder in any situation, regardless of how the child came into existence. There are ways that children, unfortunately, can come into an ex- existence through crimes like rape and incest. But we never in this country, in our justice system, punish an innocent third party for the crime of another. And so right. this whole idea that it's forced birth is is ridiculous and we have to do better on all of this and we have to champion um this issue and i and i think if we were more prepared um as as a conservative community to deal with the outcome of the dobbs issue um then hopefully we would have had better messaging in place but um in just the last minute i have with you abby johnson um do you see that there is a strategy that that is at all cohesive um, for at least some states to move forward uh, with banning abortion? Well, I mean, yeah, there are some states that have done it. I mean, I I live in Texas. Texas has, you know, we don't have any more brick-and-mortar abortion facilities here in Texas. Um, Of course, women can still get abortion pills through the mail, through these, you know, out-of-country entities, but they're really... They're taking their life in their own hands uh, if they do that. But that's their decision. If that's something that they want to do, if they want to take that risk. Um, you know, there are other states uh, that have essentially banned abortion. And, and you know, hey, that's, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of country that we live in. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll be able to get more bans passed. Florida just did something great. You know, the heartbeat, heartbeat law being, uh, being signed by DeSantis. So... I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think it's going to be polarized one way or the other, right? So I think we're going to see red states become redder, and we're going to see blue states become bluer. And I think that's going to be the shift. Yeah, well, and and regardless of the, you know, the, the ebb and flow of the, the red states and the blue states, we need to stand firm for life. And you do such a fantastic job of that every day, Abby Johnson. So thank you so much for joining me. You can follow Abby Johnson uh, on Twitter, on social media. She posts some really good pro-life messaging, especially on Facebook, where you have a little bit longer form content. So I would encourage everyone to follow Abby Johnson. Some of the stuff that I say about pro-life, I get from Abby Johnson because she's so good at this. So uh, follow her and uh, her ministry and we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Hello, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. As many of you know, Hurricane Ian devastated southwest Florida late last year, making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane and leaving tens of thousands of families in need of help. Hurricane Ian caused over $110 billion of damage, but today we're excited to announce that 8 Days of Hope 19 will take place in Fort Myers, Florida from May 20th to the 27th, bringing much-needed relief to these families in need. We'll be focusing on roofing and drywall, mechanicals, painting, and so much more. If you love to use your gifts to serve those in need, we invite you to join us. It's free. We provide the food and lodging. Everyone is invited regardless of your skill set or your age. If you can't volunteer, we invite you to pray for this outreach. Pray that the families we serve would see God glorified 
as we rebuild their homes. For additional information regarding this rebuilding trip and how to get involved, please visit 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Representative Bill Johnson of Ohio. He has served Ohio's 6th Congressional District since 2011. Proverbs 10.9 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Bill Johnson as he represents the people of Ohio. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. A lot of public schools across New York State are scrambling to find new mascots today. The Board of Regents has banned public schools from using Native American names as mascots. No more warriors, chiefs, or braves. It's part of a national effort to scrub what the left considers to be racially insensitive imagery from high school and middle school athletics. Nearly 60 school districts will be impacted. They're going to have to give a tomahawk chop to all indigenous-related mascots. The Lone Ranger is fine, but Tonto gets the heave-ho. But there is one catch. The ban does not cover tribal schools in New York State. So if the Shinnecock or Oneida Indian nations want to field teams named after Chief Sitting Bull, that's okay. But pale-faced schools, not okay. Sort of like the Indian version of reciting the lyrics to rap music. Be sure to get a copy of my book, Culture Jihad. It's available at toddstarns.com or your favorite bookstore. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, speaking of the messaging in the media and how the left tries to uh, just come at people with the most ridiculous comments, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a GOP presidential candidate, joined CNN yesterday morning. I know he goes into the lion's den quite a bit and uh, freshly off of speaking at the NRA convention was talking about our constitutionally protected Second Amendment rights and uh, had a clash with Don Lemon. And I want you to listen to this full clip. It's about three minutes of this exchange um, and how the conversation so got off the rails because Don Lemon was just not willing to engage in the merit and the substance of what Vivek was saying. And this is why the fake news media, as President Trump calls it, is it, that's so genuinely a great term for it because they the leftists never actually want to engage in the substance. They just want to um, talk over you and and put you down. But this is a conversation back and forth between Vivek and Don Lemon. Let's uh, play cut 11. 
That war was fought for black people to have freedoms in this country. Yeah. Actually, that's why the Civil War was fought. Okay. And the sad but that part wasn't about fought it, for, for black people to have guns. I think. Actually, you know, a funny fact is black people did not get to enjoy the other freedoms until their Second Amendment rights were secured. And I think that that's but, one of the lessons that we still learned. still aren't allowed to enjoy the freedoms. I disagree well with you country. on that, Don. I disagree okay. with you on it. I think okay. you're doing a disservice well, to our country. Okay. By failing to recognize when the you, fact that we have you equality are in black skin and you live in this country, then you can disagree with me. But we're not. You mentioned in here that we have three different shades Don, of I think we have to be able to talk about these issues in the open regardless of the color of our skin. Black Americans today, to say that, compare that to 1865 and 1964, I absolutely have equal rights in this I think it's insulting to black people. It's insulting to me as an African American. I don't want to sit here and argue with you because it's infuriating for you to put, that, to put those things together. It's not right. Your telling of history is wrong. Your, what, what, your what part thinking, of the history was wrong? What, 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 what part of the history, history was wrong? That the Civil War was fought. You're making people think that the Civil War was fought for black people, only for black people to get guns and for black people to the have The Civil War was fought for rights. black people in this country to get freedoms, a noble mission. And I think that it, even yes, after, right. even after we succeeded, to, to we had to actually secure those freedoms. It, to reduce it in a speech at the NRA to say you're making people think are you trying to say that black people uh, to get guns? That was that, that was the reason that you're there at the NRA. That was the reason for uh, for the Civil War. It I is think a that's fact. Reductive. It's not and reductive. I think it's Don. insulting. There are a whole plethora of reasons that for Look, the Civil with War. With due respect, I find I find your explanation reductive and actually insulting, including to black Americans to say that black people today, compared to 1964, 1865, haven't made progress in part because of the freedoms we secured. And the Second Amendment was Black part of the Hang on, that please. Freedom. I cannot keep a thought if you guys are talking to me in my ear. So uh, hang on one second. So to say that, that black people, say, say what you said again. Black people secured their freedoms after the Civil War. It is a historical fact, Don. Just study it. Only after their Second Black Amendment rights have, were secured. They were not secured their freedoms after the Civil War. That is not, you're, you are discounting uh, uh, Reconstruction. You're discounting a whole host of things that happened after the Civil War when it comes to African Americans, including the whole reason that the Civil Rights Movement happened is because black people did not secure their freedoms after the Civil War, and that things turned around. People would try to change the freedoms that were supposed and to And you know how they the got it? They got their Second Amendment rights, and they actually got, the NRA played a big role in that. But today, down the final... The NRA did the, not play a big role in that. Absolutely, they trained black Americans how to use firearms. That's a lie. That's not. The NRA actually, did not play a big role This is just historical fact. It's but not down, historical the, fact. The, the part that I just find... because you say it's historical the fact. The part that I find insulting is when you say today black Americans don't have those rights after we have the gone through that civil rights revolution in this country. You are sitting here telling an African American about the rights and what you find insulting about the the, the way I live, the skin I live in every day. Here's and where I you and know I have the a freedoms that black and white that black people don't have in this he, country, here, and that black people do have. Well, here's where you and I have a different point of view. I think we should be able to express our views regardless of the color of our skin. We should have this debate I'm not saying you without me regarding views, you as a black man, insulting that but me regarding you as a fellow citizen. You're sitting here, whatever ethnicity you are. Explaining to me whatever ethnicity about I'm, what it's like to be black. Whatever America. ethnicity I'm, I'm I'll tell you what I am. I'm an Indian American. I'm proud of it. But I think we should have this debate. Black, white, doesn't matter. I think we should have this on debate. On the content of the ideas. If you do it, you should do it in an honest way and in a I fair way. And what you're doing is not an honest and fair way. <laughs> so racism, oppression, and, you know, facts are, are, are fine when Don Lemon says them. But he can just say, well, no, no, no. They're not facts and not provide anything when Vivek comes back. So this exchange was just uh, was just incredible. And so uh, Vivek Ramaswamy joins me now to uh, to talk about this. And, you know, Vivek, I thought your persistent explanation of just pushing back on history and your point that none of the other freedoms for black people would have been secured without first securing the right 
to keep and bear arms actually makes sense, and you did get that point across. I did, and Jenna, this is why I make it a point to go on media, including left-wing media, where people disagree with us, because we have to actually see the problem in the face and then actually run through it if we're going to have a country left. People have forgotten that history. A lot of people forget this, actually. I didn't have time to bring it up yesterday in the short windows when, uh, when Don Lemon wasn't having a conniption. But you know, one of the things actually people forget is the Dred Scott case. You'll know this from your legal background and constitutional background, Jenna. But the Dred Scott case, which disastrously before the Civil War, one of the embarrassing cases in our, in our Supreme Court history, said that black people were not persons because if they were or could not be citizens, because if they were citizens, then that would give them the right to own guns. Chief Justice Taney, actually, that was one of the famous and ignominious holdings before the Civil War. So it was absolutely essential for black Americans to secure their Second Amendment rights in order for all the other rights to matter in the Reconstruction era. The problem for the likes of Don Lemon is that doesn't fit his narrative. On one hand, he thinks of himself as a civil rights crusader. On the other hand, he has an inherent anaphylactic reaction to the Second Amendment. And that's why it really, I think, made him sort of mentally lose it when I put those two things together, because those two things aren't supposed to fit together. Civil rights are for the good guys. Second Amendment rights are for the bad guys. But what I was explaining to him as I spoke in my NRA speech was that these two things actually go hand in glove together. And that's, I think, part of what made him have that anaphylactic explosion. But I will keep doing it. And you know what? Actually, what we heard Jenna yesterday is, I mean, you played part of the clip, but it was, uh, you know, I think the broad perception, uh, universal perception was that I really, you know, convinced people, defeated Don Lemon openly in that debate on air, on their set, on their network. And I'm going to keep doing it because that's the only way we're going to get our country back is not just through our movement. Of course, that's where we all spend most of our time. But to be able to persuade more Americans who agree with us, then we'll admit it. And we're going to do that one step at a time. And I'm going to be, you know, I'll bear that cross at every step of the way, because that's what it is going to take to revive one nation in a national revival rather than a national divorce, where I think we're otherwise heading. And I'm going to make sure we don't get there. Yeah, well, I, I love it. And I love the fact that you're willing to go into uh, the leftist epicenters of their own uh, conversations and their own um, siloed viewpoints. Because if we're only speaking to ourselves and in our own echo chambers, then we're not actually convincing anyone. And you may have not convinced Don Lemon because, you know, he's Don Lemon. He's he's going to have that cognitive dissonance. And, you, you know, you kind of watched his um, his brain short out a little bit when you were fitting the pieces together for him. But but he wasn't your audience. It was everyone else who was listening to that and who now is seeing that clip and actually hearing you. And I love the fact that they are going to have a very difficult time, the leftist media, from canceling you off of their airwaves because you're running for president. And so as a presidential candidate, that gives you a really great opportunity to go into those networks. And, you know, I remember, Vivek, when I was um, when I was representing President Trump and initially in the first impeachment and a lot of the networks um, just ended up refusing to cancel me on. CNN was one that when I actually explained to uh, one of their leftist hosts, when he came at me saying, you know, you think that, you know, Democrats are actually, you know, anti-Constitution. Why is that? And thought it was kind of this gotcha moment. And I explained it right back to him. And then they never invited me back. So I hope that they continue to invite you back. Um, but but, but this, is, this is the whole point, is that we have to talk to our fellow Americans. And I loved what you said 
that we should be talking about this, whether, you know, regardless of the color of our skin, how sad is that, that he he went to this, Don Lemon went to this default position of, well, you're not my skin color, therefore you can't speak into the black experience. It is fundamentally un-American, okay, that the color of your skin determines the content of what you are allowed to say or think. That is what's creating this culture of fear in our country. That is what's fueling, Jenna, this growing gap between what people are willing to say in private and what people are willing to say in public. And I refuse to let that gap widen. We have to close that gap. That's the litmus test for the civic health of our country. And we're doing poorly, and we're doing poorly because of cultural leaders like him who browbeat people into submission. I mean, he, that was an implicit allegation of racism to say that I am not in black skin. And then, and then look at the way he phrased it actually back at me. And that's why I took a moment to call it out when I was right there. He says, whatever ethnicity you are, you're not going to explain to me what it is to be a black man. I said, look, we're going to have this debate. We're talking about post-reconstruction, post-Civil War reconstruction history. That's not something that's different whether you're black or white. We ought to have this debate as co-equal citizens. And I refuse. That's why I said I'm an Indian American and I'm proud of it. I mean, in a certain sense, there was a tinge of racism in what he shot back with, whatever ethnicity you are. And, and I, don't, I wasn't bothered by that. I don't have a thin skin for these things, but I thought it was important to call out because it reveals the vitriol, the poison behind this hateful perspective that if you're not this skin color or this gender or this sexual orientation, then you need to shut up and sit down. That's a form of psychological slavery. You want to talk about slavery, it comes in many forms today. And I think that we have this culture that tells you if you're in the wrong skin color, if you have the wrong ideas. Literally, like I'm using intentionally harsh language here, because this is what you know, Americans used to tell slaves in the pre-Civil War era. Shut up, sit down, and do as you're told. That's become the culture in America today. Shut up, sit down, and do as you're told. And I refuse to shut up, sit down, and do as I'm told. And yes, Jenna, I am in a position where as a presidential candidate, as somebody who's lived the full arc of the American dream. By the way, who didn't grow up in the classical privilege. My parents came to this country with almost no money. You know, I built my own success. But having achieved what I have, I don't intend to squander it. I intend to use that to actually confront the most powerful figures, the most prominent figures in culture, media, politics, with truth, cold, hard facts, and arguments that I think will actually persuade quietly some of the people who didn't know that they actually share our beliefs, but in their heart of hearts actually do, especially in the millennial and Gen Z generation. And that's part of what we're doing. I mean, this presidential campaign it is, is more of a cultural movement than a standard political campaign. And I'm confident, Jenna, that I, I just came off of a 10-county bus tour in New Hampshire, where we took a bus. It's funny, it's a little disorienting for the first time to ride a bus that has your face plastered along the side <laughs> of it. It was kind of a funny thing, but I went to all 10 counties in the state. We're going to Iowa, doing a bus tour there starting Friday of this week for a few days. I, one of the things we do is we go to college campuses. See, we don't just go to the Republican town committees. We don't just go to the local Republican events. We do that too, but we go to college campuses. I went to New England College. There's a majority black kids that were there in the pre-event that we held and then a speech that I gave at the college. I was challenged with a hard question from a kid sitting in the front row, earnest kid, but asked a hard question about my position on abortion, my pro-life position. And I think this is actually, I'm more hopeful than ever, Jenna, that that next generation, especially Gen Z, which actually is a little surprising, 
they're hungry for leadership, right? They're so hungry for a cause and for purpose and for meaning that, yes, part of what the woke movement, the likes of what Don Lemon represents, they fill that void for purpose, but with this false idol, this false sense of purpose of racial identity or gender or sexual identity. But give them, I don't want to say give them credit, but recognize what they're doing. They're at least filling it with something. And so that's what I think we in the conservative movement need to do is we need to fill that void of purpose with something, right? And that's what I'm aiming to do in this campaign with the vision of national identity, a belief, yes, in God. It doesn't have to be a four-letter word anymore in our culture with a revival of family. These can be things that fill our void, even the idea of the individual and pride in self and the work product that you create, hard work as a virtue and an ethical value. I think that they were listening. You can see it in their eyes. And they won't register as Republican, but they may come around and vote for me. And even more importantly than voting for me, they'll think about things differently than they were taught to by this one monolith left-wing culture that they're otherwise indoctrinated in. And so I just think that is so important. And we can't just sit on our hands and leave them as a lost cause. To the contrary, what I'm seeing when I travel the country, especially these college campuses, and who knows, many of them may be watching Don Lemon too, I think that that's how we're going to win the long-run battle here, is actually through leadership, hope, and inspiration for that next generation while we're still fighting the shorter-term battles that we're mired in right now. Yeah, so well said. And this is basically a, a presidential campaign that is also an apologetics campaign where you are going and speaking truth and and doing that in a way that is hopefully convincing people to understand that ultimately our, our identity, you know, we as Christians would say our identity first and foremost is in Christ. But we also, as you mentioned, have as an outflow of that, we should have national pride in the sense that I'm proud to be an American because I recognize the Judeo-Christian founding of this country and the fact that our rights have been better preserved and protected through through things even as as terrible in this country as the civil war the outcome of that was to better form a more perfect union and we're continuing to do that even in the midst of the likes of Don Lemon. So um, Vivek, thanks so much uh, for joining and you can go to Vivek2024.com to learn more about him and to uh, hopefully get you on the debate stage, Vivek. So um, hopefully we will see you there in August and look forward to it. So thanks so much for joining and continue to tell the truth. I do think that young people want the more long form conversation. They want to engage Um, And they want to have answers, substantive answers to these questions of life's most basic um, things that we all have to answer. Who are we? What are we doing? What is our purpose? What's our national identity? Who am I as a human being created in the image of God? So continue to speak the truth. We will be right back here with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Take a time out in the corner. Refuse to allow anything, whether they be relationships, whether they be friends and family members, whether they be a Supreme Court refusing to hear a case, whether they be any election results, no matter what it is, refuse to allow those things to eclipse the preeminence of Christ in your life. The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, weekday afternoons at 5 central on AFR. The podcast is available anytime at AFR.net. This is Frank Gaffney, host of Securing America, a program dedicated to protecting the country we love against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to the glory of God and his kingdom. 
Each weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, we provide insights and recommendations about the most important challenges facing our nation from her most thoughtful experts and patriots. Join me to learn how you can help in securing America right here at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Here's Ellis Craft of Reach a Village Ministries. We are excited to announce the start of our children's campaign for American Family Radio. We have a goal of seeing 60,000 children reached with the gospel. We have a generous donor that will match up to $30,000 for AFR listeners. That means $1 will reach two children with the gospel in villages around the world. These countries often have less than 2% populations of evangelical Christians. They are unreached with the gospel. We have trained local believers ready to share the gospel with families in these villages. We just need some additional funding to help mobilize these workers to get there. Your gift will be doubled today. Go to reachavillage.org AFR or call 833-773-2247 or 833-7-REACH-7. The following is not an actor, but a real life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So one of the stories that you probably haven't heard in the news that uh, has really big national security implications, actually, is that the FBI helped shut down a clandestine Chinese police station. Yeah, actually a police station in Manhattan uh, after the arrest of two alleged operatives earlier this week, according to the New York Post. And uh, the Post is also, according to them, is told that there are several more of these illegal organizations scattered across the U.S. And so these um, so-called law enforcement organizations that are operated by the Chinese Communist Party are tasked with spying on Chinese nationals around the world. So um, this this is really not good uh, that, that some of these operations are happening in downtown Manhattan and across uh, the United States. So joining me to uh, talk about this is my good friend Devin Nunez, who of course was a uh, member of Congress for a while and now currently is uh, the head of the Trump Media and Technology Group with True Social and definitely want to talk about some of those implications for social media and the election. Um, but first, uh, Devin, thanks so much for joining me. And uh, you know, I, I found that this was bizarre that this kind of thing was even going on. And, you know, maybe one one good thing that the FBI has done this year. Um, but how, how should we process this? Well, great to be with you, Jenna. And I wouldn't get too quick to give the DOJ or FBI any credit yet. Um, Fair enough. Likely likely been uh, going on for a 
for a long time. Um, it's my estimation. You know, we, we ran when I was chair of the House Intelligence Committee. You know, we had a long ongoing investigation into China, and we had been sounding the alarm on this. And I think it's just a wake-up call for people around the United States to understand what communism is really about. That it's not just about the total control in your country, but even for the people who flee, who have fled China. They then track you and follow you in around, around the world. And, you know, the United States is a free and open country. It's easy to, to get into the United States. And it's kind of embarrassing that we've let the Chinese set up these so-called police stations. And at this point, there's just so much more to learn about this. We've got, we got some details from the DOJ a few days ago about the supposed New York police headquarters but, uh, you know, there's other stories out there that say that there's possibly up to maybe five or six other locations around the United States where they're tracking these uh, Chinese uh, dissidents. Wow. And and to your point, uh, Devin Nunez, that th- this is communism. I mean, of, of Big Brother that even here in the United States that is supposed to be the beacon of freedom and liberty. Uh, one, all of this is going on kind of under our noses to uh, to an extent. And and yet the left and and the Democrats are rapidly pushing toward um, other forms of surveillance on our own citizens. I mean, I'm thinking of things like you know the the um, central uh, digitalized bank credit and um, you know other things with the social credit scores and monitoring of U.S. citizens to eventually be able to. Um, to harness and weaponize those systems and say, well, you can only um, expend certain amounts of, of these credits and do that in a way that we prefer instead of genuinely having freedom and liberty. And so um, how do we prevent in this country, and obviously this is a much longer philosophical discussion and, and policy discussion, but how do we prevent this kind of thing and the, these sorts of big brother things from our own government? Look, I think this is what the left in this country wants. They've been pressuring uh, the major corporations in this country, which, I, you know, I, I used to say that there's only a few woke corporations, but now it's hard to find one that a, a U.S. publicly traded company that's not woke. And this is one of the fights they're having right now in, in Congress with this uh, e, ESG, and actually I forget what it, what it stands for, something about environmental scores. Uh, that they're now placing on these woke corporations, and these woke, corpor- woke corporations are buying into it. And it, you know, this has huge repercussions. Like I, I still believe that the Silicon Valley Bank and the other banks that that, that basically collapsed here, uh, what was it? I don't know, month or month or two ago. You know, a lot of those probably, upon once more information comes out and once people begin to evaluate it because they were making investments in crazy woke policies like this and following these so-called scores. And, you know, now I was just actually this morning, I was, I was watching uh, Maria Bartiromo's great Fox business show this morning. And she had on there a guest that was talking about how now you, know, you used to have your score when you would go to get a loan uh, for, for a, for a house, right? Just a, a mortgage loan. And now it looks like people who have the higher scores, you know, this has been a process that's been around for a long time. You know, you have to have that, you know, decent credit score in order to get a loan. Kind of makes sense to make sure that so people don't default on their loans. Well, now people with the higher scores are going to be paying more money is what she was reporting this morning. I mean, so it's just, you know, punishing people for doing the right thing. 
Yeah. And and to to your point about um, ESG and how all of these woke corporations are buying into these uh, the this scoring system from the human rights campaign. This has been a question that that I've had is why would these for profit companies and you're the CEO of you know the the Trump Media and Technology Group and uh, you know we're in a capitalist society here and why would these corporations want to participate in a scoring system that that requires them to do something like what Bud Light is doing where they have a transgender you know this this adult man that is pretending to be a little girl and have him as the face of their beer cans that completely is contrary to any of their consumer base, but they're willing to do it and take the profit margin loss because they care about the score. Like to me, in a in a capitalist society, that makes no sense. And so what possible value could they find in this woke scoring system that's better than actual profit if you're a for-profit company? It, well, it's the short answer is this is just the breakdown of all normalcy in this country. It, it, you're, you're exactly right. These companies are supposed to be for-profit. They're supposed to try to make money. They're supposed to do the, the best job they can on behalf of their shareholders. It's why we have the Securities and Exchange Commission. You know, They're the ones that are supposed to be watching to make sure they're protecting the shareholders. But what's happening is, is they're doing the opposite. They're only, they're basically taking left-wing policies and forcing the implementation by these, by these corporations, by these U.S. publicly traded companies. And so they're doing the opposite of what they were chartered to do nearly, gosh, almost 90 years ago in the early 1930s when, when the SEC was created after the Great Depression started the, the stock market crash. And they're doing the opposite now. If you're a left-wing company, you may get the financing. Um, but you know, if you're a company like True Social, where we've been waiting for a year for approval, I mean, we're, at, we're trying to compete with these big tech tyrant companies, and we have no access to the public markets. Uh, they've been blocking our merger with our financing. So on one hand, you know, it's, they don't like Trump. They don't like free speech. So they, they stop us, our company, from, from becoming a public company. And meanwhile, they're forcing these other public companies to adopt these woke policies. And you know, I have a, hopefully this is backfiring on them. And, you know, yesterday we had a, well, I'm here at True Social Headquarters in, uh, in Florida. And uh, we, we had a little, we actually started our group feature yesterday. We're beta testing for, for groups, which will be, a fun new feature for the platform where people can go on and create their own group, either private or public, and, and interact with one another. It's part of our goal to be truly a social networking company. But we had a little uh, happy hour, so we went we went over to just a local pub, and they had uh, there on display you know five or six uh, beers on on draft, and they were all the Anheuser Busch draft uh, beers, so Budweiser, Bud Light, Stella, etc. That were on draft, and Jenna, there was probably I don't know there was there was maybe fifteen of us from uh, from True Social, and there were maybe ten or fifteen others uh, there, and not one beer was poured out of that draft. And uh, I we were talking to the to the bartender there, and she was saying, "Yeah, nobody's ordering this stuff." So you know, maybe maybe it's backfiring. I don't know. I, I sure hope it is, but that's you know just a little anecdotal story from from Sarasota, Florida for you. 
Well, and, you know, props to everyone at that pub. And I hope that that one anecdotal story is being replicated across the country so that we, the consumers, can push back and say, okay, if you're going to have these kind of, uh, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion index scores that you care about more about than us, then we're not going to just give you our dollars and and be the consumers and, you know, just um, literally have this stuff forced down our throats. I mean, you know, uh, in in the sense of Anheuser-Busch. And so, um, but but this is why the whole idea of having alternatives in the marketplace is so important. And this is why when um, you have obviously partnered with with President Trump to, to have Truth Social available as an alternative to a lot of these um, other big tech tyrants, uh, this becomes important to push back and be part of uh, the the ecosystem that is actually pushing and championing um, a better alternative and conservative uh, platform. So, you know, how are you seeing um, that this is being effective, at least in the marketplace of uh, of social media? Well, I always say that uh, President Trump didn't need a new company and I didn't need a new job, but we really had no other choice but to go out and create this new ecosystem uh, because so many people were being shadow banned or outright banned or kicked off these platforms. And most notably, uh, the number one person was President Trump, who got kicked off of every major platform. Uh, If you look at, you know, what we're doing and we're working closely with with Rumble. And, the, you know, the purpose of this is to have everything self-contained so that we're impenetrable by these woke companies or these tech tyrants. We, are, we don't want to be in a position where we can ever be canceled again. I mean, they basically – it's not just about – you know, free speech is obviously the, the First Amendment, but it's more so than, than that. I mean, they had us – and I say us, anybody who's – I mean, you don't even have to be – I say center-right, but they even ban – liberal journalists too. So it's not just the the center right, but if the liberal journalists don't go along with the status quo, they get banned from these from these other platforms. And so, you know, we've been just working, you know, working around the clock to create this impenetrable fortress to protect people's right to free speech, which is basically just it's it's simple communications. They, they had us completely cut off from the world. People couldn't communicate with one another, right? I mean, if you got kicked off of – because, you know, think of the, the beauty of, of social media in its heyday was that you could connect to your friends that lived around the world, your, form, you know, your high school classmates, your college roommates. You could post you know, pictures, videos, all of the, all these wonderful things. Well, when you get booted off of a platform uh, because you said that – you didn't like the vaccine or that you thought that the Corona virus came from China and you suddenly, boom, you were evaporated. You could no longer have basic communications with, with your friends and family. And that's why what we're building here is just so critically important. It's just basic communications infrastructure so that people have the right to exercise their, their first amendment uh, constitutional rights in this country. Yeah, and and that makes so much sense when you think of these communication tools in um, our modern era. It would be like, you know, back in um, the the 80s or 90s before these these platforms existed, uh, that if a 
telephone company didn't like the people you were connecting with or the messages you were spreading, you know, on, on just a private phone call, they could take your phone away and say, sorry, you can't communicate anymore. I mean, that that makes absolutely no sense. And in, in that right. sense, though, the, the privacy of, you know, you didn't have as much reach on the phone. Now, other people can view your communication and see in an open way these conversations and it is moving the needle so much and um in just the last few minutes i have with you um devin nunez and i really appreciate your time i could always talk to you for so much longer um having these open conversations how do you think that um social media is going to impact the 2024 presidential race um, based on some of these critical things that we've all been discussing over the last few years, in particular with social media? Well, if you if you take 2016, President Trump ran an amazing race. He came from behind. Nobody thought he was going to win. And he successfully used Facebook. I would say it was Facebook that really helped Donald Trump win because he would he would hold these rallies all over the country and then he would use Facebook Live to broadcast them out. So, you you know, he would go somewhere and have 10,000 people at a rally in northern Wisconsin. But there would be 50,000, 60,000, 80,000 people that were watching the rally on Facebook Live. And then it was Obama and Zuckerberg who came up with the term fake news and that basically Donald Trump was fake news in 2016 and they had to clamp down on it. And that's exactly what they did. So so the, the shadow banning started heavily by these tech tyrants in 2017 and it and it got worse and worse and worse that so much so that by 2020 companies like rumble and parlor who unfortunately got destroyed by these big tech tyrants and we don't want to ever be in a position of like parlor was in and we're just sitting you know sitting here you know without any communications architecture so that's why what what true social and rumble are doing is so critically important because without us, that tool, that tool that Donald Trump used back in 2016 doesn't exist. And I'm convinced that President Trump would have never got back on to these other platforms had it not been for what we're creating. And, and we really appreciate that. Devin Nunez, thanks so much. You can follow me and him on Truth Social. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.